0: Hello, folks. You are listening to Rewriting Our Future, A Mind Control Exodus with me, Paul Henning. Join us on our journey as we explore and actively work to deprogram ourselves from the forces in the world that socially engineer our lives. Are the politicians, doctors, scientific experts, and news anchors telling us the truth? Is school, pop culture, social media, and television programming supporting the development of our highest consciousness, healthiest bodies? most sovereign selves? The more we research and listen to our intuition, the more we find that this answer is a loud and resounding no. And so, we are rewriting our future to opt out of the mind control these forces tirelessly aim to manipulate and coerce us with. Welcome to the show, where we are all figuring this out together. I am super stoked to bring you today's episode. Today I speak with Bradley Pruitt of Tenasi Homes, and we have a great conversation as Bradley shares with us some of his wealth of knowledge about not only finding off-grid conscious communities to live on authentically, but also what it takes to build an off-grid home that is really beautiful and luxurious and fit for a really wonderful life aligned with our higher purpose. Uh, not only that, he shares a bit about the conscious community that he is building off-grid on uh, a la- piece of land that him and his wife bought. And then we get into a bit about brotherhood and what it means to be a man and connecting and how we can work together to accomplish our goals instead of having to um, to do it all alone. I really value this conversation, and I think you all will, too. Thanks. All right. Hello, everyone. I am super pleased and honored to have uh, my guest today, Bradley P- Pruitt. Uh, friend of mine who lives in the Knoxville area. How are you doing today, Bradley?
1: Great, Paul. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming. I know you're busy as well. Um, And today's Bradley's 33rd birthday. So if anybody's out there, we'll wish you a happy birthday. Um, I had a friend who I was with him when his wife turned 32, and we partied with them all night. And he kept saying, it's your 32nd birthday. He's like, which 30 seconds is it? (laughs) <laughs> uh it was a real punny guy but uh you can't do it with 33rd but your 32nd birthday is over and now you're 33 which pretty serendipitous as a first podcast interview on your birthday so yeah, yeah. it's awesome i'm blessed to have you um thank you so i wanted to have bradley on today because you know we met you and your wife through the free birth society which both of mm-hmm. our wives are are members of and they attend the festival there in north carolina Mm-hmm. And we heard that there was a couple outside of Knoxville that was building a kind of a conscious community on the land. And they were uh, kind of uh, calling in people who may be interested in living in this environment that, you know, you all were cultivating. And since we're just right here in Roanoke, it's three hours away and we are looking for a lot of that ourselves. We kind of got over our head in the property and the house we bought over our head like over leveraged perhaps mm. kind of rushing towards the you know the homestead thing i think sometimes the truth or thing can be like buy land and get chickens and get guns and before it's all gone you know and so we rushed in i think and uh mm. we maybe kind of overdid it and so when we heard that y'all were uh um offering to give like tours to see who would be a good fit we were grateful to jump to jump at it and then we went down to meet y'all and your property was beautiful and we had a great uh time, you know, uh taking your tour of your land. And then of course you took us next door to another conscious community. Am I is that right? Is that what you call them? Conscious communities?
1: Um I don't call them that, but it's a okay. beautiful name. So
0: maybe I just yeah. made that up or something. Um
1: uh, I mean, no, no. I you know, it is a conscious community. I have used that term. Um mm-hmm to i guess describe it to other people but just in my everyday language i just say you know the community i live in or my community yeah
0: okay that makes sense um well you know when i lived in portland i was in like an intentional household right i was in portland for six months one time and there was eight people and eight animals living in this disgusting house and there was like house meetings and there was rules and uh everyone was it was horrible place to be honest um <laughs> no offense i don't know that any of those people are listening but uh there was something that was like, intent. It, was, it said it was intentional, but really it was, I don't know what they were doing there. Portland can be like kind of crazy. It was exactly the stereotype. But when I went to tour your land and the land that y'all have a, a home on already, where you have this just incredibly uh, romantic and really practical off-grid yurt, mm-hmm. um, Catherine and I were blown away at the you know the deliberation and the intentionality of not only the the people that choose to live there but in every single thing that gets put on the land like the path that leads up to the house and you know the garden and the you know where even the down to like the kitchen table you know things like that there was a uh, there was obviously y'all have a um the things it seemed to me in that, those few hours we went together that your life is not put together by chance or accidentally you know everything seemed very intentional down not only like i said your furniture and where you live but the lifestyle you live and the people that you want to that you want to surround yourself with um and so before we talk about what this kind of community living is and what you hope to build with yours and even what it means for average person to conceptualize living in an off-grid uh you know ideally paid off environment could you talk a little bit about uh your background and how you and your wife got to the place where you even wanted to do something like this.
1: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the compliments on our home. Um, yeah, I, I feel very lucky and blessed and, uh, and I feel like it all came together. <laughs> so, um, I appreciate your appreciation of it. It, it reminds sure. me to appreciate it, you know, cause it's hmm. still a work in progress, but I need to be more grateful for what is at the moment. Um, so thank you for that.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Um, so yeah, background story is uh, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, uh, born and raised, and um, moved out to the suburbs. You know, when about elementary school age, and um, and you know, loved uh, living they're close to friends and had, you know, suburbs, suburbia, you know, houses are close by, not a whole lot of nature. Um my dad did a landscaping, you know, for the city. And so he planted I was lucky, you know, that he planted trees and mm, flowers mm-hmm. and and they like to to have a, a nice landscape. Um and I think I may have taken that for granted but definitely realizing that And my grandparents lived down in Mississippi, which, you know, Memphis is on the border. And uh, so, yeah, Memphis to Mississippi, where they lived was about 45 minutes. And they had a beautiful property, five acres, big oak trees, um, a couple fruit trees, a big pond with a bridge going across it and Hmm. um, a beautiful stone house that. Both of my grandpas built together, wow, which is just amazing. Um, my dad's dad, who lived in the house with my grandma was a carpenter and my mom's dad was a stonemason. Wow so so just a beautiful, beautiful home um, not not big or anything, just you know three bedroom two bathroom, just everything. Yeah. So that was like my heaven, you know, every holiday spent oh, sure. there just out in nature. So, you know, the prospect of uh, moving away from home when I was 17 to to go to college, I didn't want to stay in Memphis. So I ended up moving to Knoxville to go to the University of Tennessee. And um, so, you know, I always love fishing in my grandpa's pond. And uh, so I ended up studying um fish in hmm. uh, ecology and evolutionary biology wow. which uh i i read in your sub stack that that was your uh area of study as well it was yeah so some synchronicity there
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so you know really got um immersed into the scientific community and how that ties in with the socio-political industrial complex, you know, which uh, that's a whole tangent we could get off on, but Mm -hmm. um, had a few good teachers that, that questioned um, you know, ideas and beliefs. And I was intrigued by that because I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a challenger and I can see both sides, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's in studying my astrology and stuff. That's a strong suit of mine is to challenge hmm. beliefs and also to try different things out, uh, like a challenger and enthusiast are, are my two Enneagram, hmm. uh, strong suits. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was in a fraternity at UT. And my fraternity brothers, um, worked, a lot of them worked at, um, a bank called Clayton Mm -hmm. bank and Jim Clayton, the founder was in the fraternity years before. So he kind of recruited people from my fraternity. So I ended up getting a job there. Um, you know, and I, I partied a lot in college. I'm not going to lie. And, um, so it, it took me six years to graduate, but in that third year, I went part-time, the, the third and fourth year, and I was working at the bank full-time, and uh, so that actually is where my career stayed after I graduated, stayed in banking, and um, that's where I met Rebecca. Hmm. We met at the bank. Oh, Wow. Yeah, in downtown Knoxville. Hmm. And so um that's our that's our story. We started dating and we would we were, you know, downtown Charlie Browns is what I called us. Uh <laughs> went to yeah. work downtown and went to the YMCA downtown, went to the restaurants, like to go out drinking with friends and you know about you, Well, we got married a couple years later, and then we just started realizing, like, going to work and drinking, you know, four nights a week and then getting up on Monday and doing it all over again is not how we see our life going. It's Mm -hmm. not the vision. So, um, you know, that's when we started, like, yeah, we want to get some land. We want to get out of the city um, that was probably around 2018 is when we seriously started looking for land
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, just sort of forming our vision because right when Rebecca moved in with me she's like we need a garden and so we started gardening and she has <laughs> really been the driving force of gardening and I with my background had some identification um, abilities so I got really into plants and I love plant identification and learning all about that stuff every day I'm learning new things about plants so fruit trees uh, these are actually banana trees behind me but I'm at my friend's house uh, in middle Tennessee so um banana trees in Tennessee man I learn something every day I guess yeah they actually dig them up in the winter and put them in their garage oh Uh, wow (laughs) but there is one of them that has bananas a bunch of bananas on it
0: wow cool no excuses, gardeners. Look at that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I always say go for fruits that grow themselves. You know, just like yeah, blueberries, figs, mulberries, mm-hmm. pears. The list goes on. Hmm. Yeah, man.
2: Yeah, cool. So yeah, that's so... a little
1: bit of my background.
0: Cool. Um. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's interesting. The. Uh... <clears throat> you know, the parallels that a lot of us come to where we, uh, kind of, we get into the system that was designed for us, you know, or the way I just say plainly on my channel it was socially engineered. Right. They, you know, we, we, they want to say they, but like the system clearly wants us to live downtown to work downtown, to drink downtown, to go to the coffee shop and then the work and then the bar and then go home. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> there's so many of us that, uh, it takes a long time for some of us to be able to see that as not the most idealized path for, you know, not only your money, but your and your health, but kind of your spirituality as well. You know, it's hard when you don't walk on the earth or see trees that haven't been uh, brought in just to be like, just come out of a grate in the middle of the sidewalk or something for an aesthetic or whatever, Uh to hide a. I don't know, a 5G tower or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, was there sort of like a a spiritual aspect to getting out of the city and coming towards the land from where you are now as well?
1: I think so, you know, and that was a bit of a mystery at the time, still is, um, mm-hmm. you know, the the mystery of the spirit and um, just like we knew that being around peace and quiet, you know, we lived on the corner of two streets and there was a school around the corner from our house. So buses would come by and Mm. not just the noise, but the exhaust and people walking by and, um, kind of an exposed yard. So privacy also came into that and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, noise pollution, uh, as opposed to quietness and, um, air pollution as opposed to clean air and, and, um, you know, like neighbors walking close by as opposed to privacy, those all have an effect on the spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and we knew that we wanted peace and quiet and clean air and, and privacy, but we also wanted to like be in closer community with our neighbors because Mm -hmm. we knew all our neighbors around us on a surface level. So, uh, we wanted to, I think, uh, put our energy more into, into community and, um, yeah we definitely put a lot of energy into uh, learning about different um, you could call them conspiracies um, <laughs> you know kind of like what you were speaking to and
2: mm-hmm. and that's
1: one of the things that just in the past few weeks I've been um, telling myself and Rebecca a new mantra of mine is that I'm putting my energy into community mm-hmm. and not into conspiracy. Yeah, I and love that. That's something I learned from uh from Adam Jackson on the Sacred Sons podcast. If you ever want to cool. check that out.
0: Yeah, well. Yeah, that's really good advice. You know, it's super easy to get caught into the uh the conspiracy, you know. It's more prop, you know, cuz it's like problems in, problems in and then you sit around talking about the problems but it sounds like community is the solution you know and uh yeah and so yeah it's a solution oriented you know because the community is so important as well not only for the conspiratorial aspect of your supply chain failing and all this but just community it authentic um community is how we live how we mm-hmm. lived ancestrally you know it's like what our it's what our our dna and our our spirit calls for right on this mm-hmm. like the the on this plane where we are where it meets the spiritual and the physical realms together like community is the answer and so you're right to live so close to so many neighbors within energetic proximity in downtown but to know so few of them intimately um i can see how it's quite the the conflict inside of us you know um so to create uh, to go pursue and to actually find what you were looking for is incredible so then you all found yourself on a property. It sounds like that we toured. That was a community of people that live out outside of town, like yeah, in the country, I guess, as you'd say. Um, yeah. And so we, we tell us a little bit about what those type of communities are like.
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, we, we looked all around Knoxville for some land and we had our criteria and, um, We were just trying to be patient, um, also being very, uh, or I guess having a high standard of what exactly we were looking for. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca came across a article in someone's blog about um, a vision fast. That they had hmm. done in uh, a community called Narrow Ridge. Narrow Ridge Earth Literacy Center. Okay. And so she read that and she basically had an epiphany just laying in the bathtub one night in December in our home in Knoxville in the city and was like, let's go look at it.
2: Mm-hmm. And so we
1: scheduled a tour and, you know in January of 2020 is when we first toured Narrow Ridge and saw the spots available and found our spot where the yurt is now. And, um, like wasn't really available, but the founder, um, said that he would put in a good word for us. He he started this community in the seventies and had been buying up farms and putting them in a land trust and, and parceling them off and selling them to people to live off grid and uh, live this lifestyle. So, you know, we spoke to the owner who was an absentee owner in Florida and, he didn't have plans for it. His kids didn't really want it. So he sold it to us in uh, like the first week of March. It was like a week before COVID really wow. hit the fan. Yeah. And uh, so it was it was like a blessing. It was like, well, we know where we're going now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. What a perfect place to not, what a perfect time to not be in the city.
1: Yeah. And there was nothing there, you know, not even a driveway. Wow. So it was like a perfect place to put our energy um, for those next year and a half, two years, mm-hmm. basically building. How what, much land was
0: that lot you got? Ten acres. Oh, that! Lot. Wow, that's a big lot. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then so. Before we get into how you built this off-grid place, you said that the uh, Narrow Ridge is, you know, this guy was buying up uh, farms and and kind of dividing them into these uh, plots for people to live off-grid and intentionally. What what is the relationship like with the neighbors and what kind of overall intentions or guidelines or, I don't know, protocols uh, does the community have overall?
1: Yeah, great question. Yeah the the neighbors are close. Um, pretty much everyone knows everybody, except for maybe you know a few of the the newer people or the absentee owners. Um, it's a it's a nonprofit organization, and each parcel or site is a lease site. Okay. So. The deed stays in the name of the nonprofit mm-hmm. and the owner or leaseholder has a lease which is not recorded with the county. It's just a contract between the leaseholder and their ridge. Mm-hmm. And that has the guidelines of how uh, the the land ownership looks so so a leasehold is a type of land ownership yeah um, and we have a lifetime lease that can be passed on to heirs and it can be sold to whoever we want but any heir or buyer has to agree to the terms of the lease. And the terms of the lease have covenants and restrictions such as, um, you know, no herbicides and pesticides and uh, no lights on at night unless they're on a motion detector and Mm -hmm. um, no commercial Uh, Mm feedlots. You can't have excessive traffic. You can't like run a business where you're constantly getting like a retail store basically getting traffic mm-hmm. all day long um because we have gravel roads and everybody has to pay their share for mm-hmm. the road maintenance um so they have a restriction on the square footage and and they want the aesthetics of the building to be in line with uh, with the trees and the landscape and the the fields and to uh, mm-hmm. stick out like a sore thumb and and they right. don't want you can't just have a junkyard yard with junk lying around everywhere um but you know of course with anything it's not perfect in this world um there are some things that I've learned that that I would like to improve upon um and there's things that I've learned that i would definitely keep as well that that we love and we cherish and we're so happy where we live too with mm-hmm. the peace and quiet and the clean air and all of the birds and animals um uh, even if they're getting in our garden and eating some <laughs> of our vegetables sometimes <laughs> yeah i guess it's
0: like their little tax or whatever you want to call it it's their fair share right. uh, yeah. yeah it was an incru- it was a really beautiful place uh, when we drove up and you had that driveway that had been bush hogged and there was like the really tall grass on the side. And then, uh, you kind of just come in and then it was like, wow, you know, there was a, a beautiful yurt and the garden. And then you were building that kind of like outdoor kitchen and like dining space. And yeah, I was really impressed. You know, I gotta be honest. Like we look up off grid properties on YouTube. I watch these influencers that do it. And, uh, because as we started to feel like we were over leveraged here at this house, we were like, okay, we're gonna sell the house, which it turns out our house is going under contract next month if everything works out. So we're trying to create some some, uh, flexibility and Mm -hmm. to get some cash so we can really start considering our next moves. Uh, So we're excited about that. But so months ago when this was just like an idea, we're like, okay, what could we really do? So we started looking up off, mainly me, I would look up off-grid properties, And there's like influencers that are like building off-grid properties in Alaska or whatever. And mm-hmm. they are, uh, I mean, they're like sheds with a little wood stove. And then there's like an outhouse in the back. And um, and they're like, we did it, you know, and they got like a million followers. And I'm like, well, that's the life, I guess. I'm, less, I'm like, all right, Catherine, I guess we're going <laughs> to, it's going to be a cold walk to the outhouse, you know. Um, and so to be honest, that's what I thought when I thought about off-grid living. And that's, I feel so foolish now after seeing your place. Cause when we went to your house and we saw like a dishwasher and a claw foot bathtub, Kath and I were looking <laughs> at each other like, but well, wh- wh- where do you walk in the snow to the outhouse? You know? Yeah. Um So, would you tell us a little bit about your property and how you can make an off grid property in the modern era? Which seems to be like, if you're industrious and resourceful and handy like you are, you can do it. It seems. For a lot less than the price of what you can buy any modern two-bedroom house in the United States right now, um, yeah. So we yeah. just describe your property a little bit and the process of how you learned and went through it because the the comfort, the comfortability, and like even the the luxury. Or, I mean, your place was nicer than most people that are on the grid, to be honest. So, <laughs> yeah, will you share a little bit about that journey and and the, how you put it together?
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Um so you know it was really I I had a I had a uh, a purist sort of perspective going in and I was green and just like all these ideals and marrying that with practicality was uh met with a lot of compromise so um I learned a lot about, you know, um, compromise and, mm-hmm. and practicality. So um, we had our driveway put in by a local, you know, a lot of a lot of thanks to Bill who started the community because I went off his recommendation for um, people in the area, local craftsmen and skilled laborers um, to help us. So driveway, you know, clearing a spot for where we wanted the yurt. Um, and you know, I planted fruit trees before I did anything and, um, ended up having to move some because Mm -hmm. of where we decided to put things. And so, uh, but you know, being the first thing we did was planting fruit trees, picking out a spot. You know, me and Rebecca went out there with a string and a stick and made a circle radius of where we wanted the yurt. And it was actually Rebecca's idea to put up a yurt
2: hmm.
1: um, to, you know, cause they come in a kit and they can be erected pretty quickly. Uh, and we chose to go with Pacific yurts and that's, kind of what bill recommended because he had a bunch he had a stack of brochures from pacific mm. yurts and we went and compared about 11 different yurt companies and they seem to have the best price as well as custom customize uh packages customability i don't know if that's a mm-hmm. word <laughs> yeah so um yeah it came with plans on how to build the platform and I'm so grateful to um community members as well as Rebecca's family and my family because we went out there and we had mattocks and pickaxes and shovels and we put the foundation in ourself just like some concrete footers because the yurt platform is held up with like 30 posts oh yeah So we put in the four by four post and started building the platform. And Rebecca's dad is an engineer. uh, So he basically took the plans and put them on his computer and had everything dialed in and had all the tools and showed me how to build things. And I'd built a half pipe in high school with my grandpa, who was a carpenter. So I had some carpentry skills. And so um, that was really great learning how to professionally and, um, you know, skillfully build with wood and screws and nails and, um, brackets and saws and clamps and all the stuff that you use. And then we put in a, a pine tongue and groove two by six floor.
2: nice, And
1: it's not perfect. Uh, And Rebecca standed herself and it's creaky and, you know, she doesn't really like the color, but everyone else seems to love it. And um, it's definitely something that if we did it again, we would probably change. But then Mm -hmm. it took us about six weeks to build the platform, six to eight weeks of Saturdays and Sundays. And then we put the yurt up as a kit in two days a saturday and sunday
0: oh wow that's good to know
1: yeah and and like people in our community were coming out all the time to help us um and i had bought a trailer and a generator and a riding mower and all this stuff in 2020 and really before inflation hit um and then in 20 you know it was actually uh in January of 2021 is when we put the yurt up. And then uh, we kind of stalled out a little bit. I don't know if it was a uh, upper limit problem or what, but we were just like hanging out at the house in Knoxville, watching movies and kind of just sitting around kicking back for three or four months when we could have really been building more uh, the inside of the yurt and uh it was like the springtime of 2021 so if we had that back we would we would have gotten it in a little bit sooner but um i guess we were sort of worn out a little bit
0: yeah it sounds like you needed to rest you know and you just were letting yourselves rest
1: yeah so um we we had a guy we have a, a neighbor who does solar installation and so he designed our solar system based on our needs um and that was a a good expense and we really um were able to finance all of this from the equity in our home in knoxville because the price had gone uh the the price that we bought it at you know was was much lower than the value that it was when we started to build. And we were able to tap in that equity to, um, to build it. And also my parents gave us, my parents were going to go in with us to buy some land Mm -hmm. and, uh, they ended up giving us the money to buy this 10 acres, um, which was actually affordable. And the cool thing about our community is, um, the, they they keep the price from going up more than mm. a certain amount each year, so that people aren't flipping, yeah, the land and the homes. So um, they cap the um, appreciation at a certain percentage. So we were able mm. to buy it for a really good price, just raw land. And uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah, we got the solar in, and we moved out of our house in Knoxville, we kind of got pushed out because Rebecca's brother moved in and we thought we were going to, you know, we were going to rent out our house to her brother and he moved in before we were finished building. And Hmm. so we lived with him for like a month and we were like, we got to move up there. (laughs) And so our neighbor's house is vacant and it's basically a complete house, except it has no electricity or running water. So we moved into their house and planned on living there for like a week while we finished the yurt. but it ended up being three months.
0: Oh, wow. That's how it goes, so, I guess.
1: Yeah, we had to get the solar and then we had to get the electrical run through the house and we had to get the plumbing done.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: I, I walled in the bathroom with Rebecca's dad. And um, so and we thrifted a lot of things, you know, mm-hmm. like cabinets, the bathtub. Uh, the vanity, the kitchen sink. Um, we Rebecca refinished her great grandparents' old wood stove, and and we had a hearth built, and she it was beautiful, but it just the firebox was too small because it was mm-hmm. one with an oven, and the oven took up most of the room, so we ended up changing that out, um, and we have a propane tank with a propane heater, a propane hot water heater um so like we have a wood stove plus the propane heater to keep the yurt warm because it is very drafty mm-hmm. so the cold air um comes in but you know it's 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 fresh air all the time it's not like we're um there's not really any sort of vapor barrier um mm-hmm. the the humidity and the temperature difference from outside isn't very different especially in the summer we keep all the windows open throughout the summer so Hmm. a lot of moving air yeah that's
0: really that's really cool especially if you have an efficient stove you know and during when it's cold you can really feed it all day like here we have these giant uh just like chimney fireplaces and in our home and i mean i could put an arms load of wood in there every morning and need another one that afternoon when it gets cold, you know, but those, uh, those cast iron indoor stoves you're talking about. I mean, I know we had one in in Washington and you could just put a couple logs in there at a time and they really can, it really goes a long way.
1: They do. Yeah. And ours is a a catalytic stove. Hmm. Um, So we can actually open up the flue where the smoke goes out to start the fire. But once it reaches a, an internal temperature of around uh, 500 degrees, we can close the flue and it'll go through uh, basically a, a, a metal catalyst and it like mm-hmm. heats that up to the internal temperature gets up above 900 degrees and mm-hmm. the smoke still goes out the chimney. It just goes through some chambers to slow it down so that the, the soot is burnt and Really, it's just clean smoke coming out the chimney, so it's really efficient.
0: Wow, that's incredible. That's like the opposite of the one I just described in our house, where you can just see like everything just going up, you know? Um, yeah. And then big chunks left in the bottom that I have to clean out mm-hmm. because they're not burning. Uh, yeah.
1: Wow. And then you can use the a- ash in the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a Smart. big part of. Um, you know, they say, oh the food doesn't have as much nutrition well you know 100 200 years ago it was just traditional to put your wood ash in the garden and that's a it's it's part of the cycle of uh Mm -hmm. uh, keeping the soil healthy
0: that makes sense um yeah it's just part of this knowledge that has just skipped a generation you know like for a lot of us for like a lot of western societies we're like you know like y'all were relearning to put ash in in -hmm. your garden where a generation ago or a lot of people now are like what garden or what ash you know uh Mm -hmm. or even if they or like us like trying to to build these things and not we don't we don't have we've forgotten the connections to make between all the resources around us you know Mm
2: -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: so it's a good reminder that the systems can be, uh, you know, circular permaculture style, especially when you live where you live, you know, then you're, it's not quite as convenient to just like take the trash out all the time. And so your whole lifestyle starts to orient around uh, recycling and renewability and reducing waste and stuff because just your environment dictates your lifestyle. You know, uh, that, there's that really yeah. popular book. I'm a health coach for work. And a lot of people bring up this book, atomic habits by James clear. I think his name is, and it's like a really good book about reorienting your habits. It's like self pop self-help, like airport style, self-help stuff. It's a great book, honestly. But, uh, he has this thing where he's like, you know, be the engineer of your environment. If you want to play guitar more, take your TV and put it on by the curb in front of your house (laughs) where the trash guys come and put your guitar where your TV is now. And that's how you will play more guitar. And, but what you're talking about, this environment that you all have cultivated, is doing that, but like to the max almost. You know, I mean, uh, everything around you starts to change when you when you live out there because you're not. You want to go get a beer downtown, or you know, a latte or whatever. Like you're making it now. <laughs> I mean, or you're not uh, going into town every four nights a week, maybe because it's farther away. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And then you, uh, yeah, that's cool. So. You got the solar, and then the well and septic. I guess was already in, and
1: and uh... we had that installed, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the the well was uh, along with the solar, the plumbing, the electrical, and the um, septic, mm-hmm. and then the yurt kit uh, and the land. Those are all the biggest expenses, mm-hmm. right there. So,
0: and. So what kind of monthly bills do y'all have now for that property?
1: Um, We do have phone and internet, satellite phone and internet. Um, So phone and internet together is like 140 a month. Um, And then other than that, it's just the propane bill, which Mm -hmm. we get that filled up twice a year. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was just filled up. I was at about 55% and they filled the tank to about 85% max. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's an underground tank and the bill was around $300. I think in the winter, it runs a little bit lower. So it, it was like $400, but you're talking, you know, 700 to $800 a year. So maybe 50, 60, 70 bucks a month if you, so the monthly bill, since we don't have a mortgage out there, the monthly bill for that is, you know, if you take the propane and you do it monthly, it's about 200 bucks a month. And, uh, and then our, the house in Knoxville, which we use the equity to build, we have that rented out and that covers the first mortgage and the second mortgage so the second mortgage was what we used to build wow yeah that's that's amazing you know this
0: is why I'm I was grateful to have you on today too because this this is like really important knowledge that I hope to to translate into wisdom through action myself because a lot of people you know people just there's so many people that struggle with finances in one way or another of course you know and it's like Uh, you know, Dave Ramsey wants us all to just budget ourselves to death. Um, but then other people, it's like, well, your, your, your expenses aren't your problem. It's your income. Like Grant Cardone, he's like, forget your expenses. It's your income, forget a budget, go make more money, you know? Um, and so they all have their place, but this idea where you're talking about where people can be persistent and, and courageous and resourceful, and you can get a $200 a month, like bill. Like I gotta be honest, this house we're in that we bought, it was a great deal. There's a big, beautiful mountain house on four acres. It's like twenty-five hundred square feet. Okay, I live here with my mm. wife. Um, there's two <laughs> chimneys. Well, I guess we have our cat Toby as well, but he's pretty low maintenance. You know, he doesn't need many square feet. Um, yeah. And I had when my my brother was staying with us last year for a few months, and he was upstairs. It was quite cold, and the house is really drafty. Right, one mm-hmm. we would burn wood nonstop and I would still need to put the heat on. And one month I got almost a $400 heating bill in the coldest month mm-hmm. of the year. Cause we had never lived here. It was our first winter. I didn't know. I didn't know yeah. I've been living in tiny houses. I lived in my truck for a while. Uh, and I thought, wow, like this is ridiculous. I don't know if you know who Paul Wheaton is. He's a famous permaculturalist out of Montana, but no. he's all about resourcefulness. And like, I okay. just pictured him hearing that I had a almost a $400 heating bill. It would just, it would just be like, you failed at life, man. Like, um, and so to uh, hear, you know, no. these kind of options, it's really like uh, what Catherine and I are starting to try to prioritize more and more the um being wiser and to be able to have such a beautiful place. Uh, so I'll, I'll put some pictures of like, I guess the Pacific yurts on the substack so people can see what an idea is that they're not really familiar with how, Um, like elegant and comfortable these situations can be there uh it's really cool we had no idea how we would even go to live on a property like the kind we toured with you until we saw your place like i just thought i would build a cabin shed thing and uh and so it was really uh it really is super inspiring
1: thank you yeah the Um, yurts are beautiful the living in a circular dwelling and a a circular space is it's it's almost indescribable and it it was Hmm. a surprise you know people walk in and they're like oh it's so big Mm -hmm. and it's only 700 square feet Hmm. and um you know the ceiling goes up and there's a dome overhead uh and it it's the the fur Douglas fir rafters and studs going around and there's also the lattice mm-hmm. um, and then the white lining behind it it's it's just it's beautiful um, like craftsmanship that they make um, available to people and so um, yeah it's just living in a circular space makes me want to, uh, makes me plan and have a vision of always living in a circular space.
0: Wow. That's so cool. I, I hadn't heard that, um, about the inspiration for living there, but it makes sense. You know, they say, I don't know what the quote is exactly, but it's like, there's no right angles in, in mother nature, you know, or rarely or something, but, um, yeah, the, uh, the environment that we do with our stick build drywall homes is not quite uh organic you know um so that's cool to know that the uh, yurt is inspirational and and healing in its own just because of the the shape you know which makes sense with all the earth yeah. homes and the adobe and stuff it it uh and utilizing space rather than having to chop the house up into so many pieces um yeah so the so not only do you have this place now that y'all live on. uh the property where you are lease holders slash owners, you have your own, you bought your own set, you bought your own big plot of land and you are hoping to do something similar to what the hosts of the place you live now do. Will you tell us a little more about that and the intention and all that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of farms around where we live and um, we're actually under contract to buy another farm one that we did not close on Hmm. uh that was a it was a secluded valley and it went from peak to valley to peak wow and uh it was being sold as 200 acres and uh rebecca has uh her family has a friend who's a surveyor uh who knows her well like his daughter and Rebecca were friends growing up and so um, he is basically like family and he we consulted with him a lot and he told us like I don't think that's 200 acres I think that that's 140 acres hmm. and uh, and so Tidal uh, required a survey long story short it ended up being 150 acres hmm. we offered a lower price and they said no. And they sold it to somebody else, Um, actually sold it to a couple around our age from Asheville, North Carolina, Hmm. and they're building on it. So we look forward to being friends with them. Wow! And then around the corner, you know, this is all within a mile from our yurt. There was another house that came up for sale and it had gone on the market, off the market, on the market. And so we were like wondering why it was taking so long to sell. And we put in a backup offer just because we were like, well, we want to buy it. Uh, And actually Rebecca came back from the Matriarch Rising Festival last year. And she was like, I want to buy that land. It's like Hmm. she had the vision Mm -hmm. coming back of what we are doing. She's like, I want to buy that land. So he submitted a backup offer and it was maybe a week or two later that the people who were in first position to buy it backed out. And so we were then under contract to buy it. Hmm. And this one was much different from the valley. Um, It had rolling hills and it went up to the peak. It went from peak to peak as well. So it had two ridges but it was much more spread out and it had a road and there was a house by the road that went through the Valley. Um, So it also had two ponds, two creeks and two springs and most Mm -hmm. of it was cleared and a big barn. So um, we were like, wow, this is amazing. And we could probably offer lower than, you know, what they're asking because so many people have backed out. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what we did. And they accepted our offer, our um, backup offer. And we renovated the house and put a renter in there. Um, uh, And she's great. She's got two boys. And uh, yeah, now, and we actually had two horses gifted to us. That stay on the land, and that's a whole nother story of just Mm. a blessing that I've always wanted horses, and these just fell into our lap, you know. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: One of the things we've been cultivating is our luck. And Mm. so just having conscious luck um has been a big thing and and being a joy with what is. Yeah, there's an author named Gay Hendricks. Kate okay. and Kathleen Hendricks. They've written a lot of books. So, um, conscious luck, the big leap, um, conscious loving are books that, that Rebecca mm-hmm. and I read together, um, that I recommend. So, so yeah, the same surveyor that helped us out with the other, uh, land that we didn't buy, parceled up this land for us and, uh, helped us with a lot of things as far as that. And, Kind of got all that fa- finalized in July and sold our first parcel to the woman who gave us the horses. Wow. So she she lost her her husband in February, um, and he's the one who built our brick hearth mm. and our stone retaining wall. He is a a brick and stone mason, um, and so mm-hmm. we kind of share the horses now because um, they have the land there and. Yeah, they come visit and so it's it's beautiful
0: wow yeah i can uh confirm that it is a beautiful property it's quite striking you know that down the valley to know the properties on both sides and then that big beautiful picturesque barn right there um it is uh it's a really special place especially so close to town really you know you think you got to be like totally out in the real middle of nowhere but you're you're really uh not super far from the amenities that might be essential at some times during your week. Um, Mm -hmm. and now with the ability to have, like you said, like satellite internet and stuff, you can, uh, you can stay connected, um, all over. So how, what is it that you are hoping, is there anything that you're hoping to cultivate in your community that is a little bit different from the
1: community in which y'all already live? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, um, we are attracting young couples. Um, and you know, young, my parents are 60 and, and they're starting to take care of themselves and it's like they've revived their youth. But when I say, yeah, when I say young, you know, it's like they're on their they're on their second Saturn return. Uh, and I just went through my first. <laughs> nice. So, uh, but, but yeah, we want to live well past 100. And I think my parents do too. But we, we're looking oh, yeah. for people in the same cycle of life, you know, mm-hmm. um, a strong man and woman in their masculine and feminine with kids or want to have kids, mm-hmm. to want to um, live in a community. And not just move out to the country and do everything themselves. You know, believe mm-hmm. in division of labor. Uh, believe in community-minded, um, like just the sacredness of the the cycles of life, and you know the the sequence and the ceremony of everyday um, happenings. You know, birth is a big one. Yeah. That uh, my wife and your wife, you know, they share that belief that it's sacred yeah, and yep. there's ceremony and there's just so many beautiful um, things. You know, there's there's struggles, burdens, triumphs, victories. All of that is to be celebrated, mm-hmm. and all of it is welcome. And so, so that's. That's who we're we're calling in and attracting, but as a man, you know, um, I believe my power is to go out and seek and find and initiate mm-hmm. as well, uh, which I believe we're in the act of doing now. So, um, mm-hmm. you and Catherine coming, uh, Paul, we really appreciate y'all coming and seeing it and just like taking the first step in this relationship you know no matter where it goes it's a wonderful connection to Mm -hmm. have uh, to be able to talk to you and go on a deeper connection um that i might not have these conversations with people that i've known you know from high school or college and um fostering the the brotherhood uh -hmm. like i'm in sacred sons you know and Mm. I invite you to be a part of that as well. I've, I've been to one uh, event and I'll definitely go back and I would like to have something like that here where we can have a men's group. Um, Wow. And I've had a men's circle, but you know, in our community, it's a, it's a lot of older people and Mm -hmm. uh, retirees um, and maybe Idealism, or political uh, stance, or even dietary. Um, there's a lot of vegetarians and vegans. Um, I think I think scarcity mindset um, is a is a thing that we're leaving behind.
2: Mm-hmm. We're
1: we're definitely cultivating and fostering abundance and action. Mm-hmm. Um, building our gardens, you know, building our future, um, breaking down these old ways that are holding us back that, you know, we um, learned through observation or whatever it is like, you know, passive aggressiveness or um, not communicating directly. Uh, with our loved ones um, mm-hmm. being scared to say how we feel or being especially shame, like um, I'm no longer uh, welcoming my shame as much. You know, if, if I had wow. to say like if one thing was unwelcome, it would be shame. Mm. Uh, but still, you know, loving myself and, and like, these things that we're clearing out, we're making space for new things, and we have to fill that space with the new things to get to the vision of yeah. where we're going to. so yeah,
0: man, that was so beautiful. Um, I'm so glad I have that recorded, and I get to listen to it again because it it's it's so aligned with so much of what I'm learning and I have been cultivating, you know in my own life. And, uh, it really is, like you said, you don't often get to share these types of things with other people and even people you love and are close to. And if you do, not everyone is at sort of the same stage in the journey to be able to articulate the same conversation at the same time, you know, because timing is really important. And so even people that are on the same page are not necessarily on the same word, so to speak. And, and so it's really, I could just hear you. It's like ding, 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 you know, and, uh, um you know you brought up uh what you said like committing to luck or i don't know how quite how you put it uh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah I I, commit yeah that's a great word commitment
0: yeah the uh the other day i heard um someone say that they were like uh committed to extraordinary circumstances and so like i've been thinking mm-hmm. about that lately and it's like what you're what you're describing and then you know our wives being a part of the freebird society i don't know about you but i was like really naive to a lot of um the ways that I see the world now. And I, I, I appreciate, I have to give credit to my wife for that. Um, Mm -hmm. and over the last few years, she's really helped me understand. I was, I was really like pigeonholed in a lot of ways. I, I, you know, I was in the military and I got out and I was like, really like interested in voting and talking about like the bipartisan blah, blah, blah. I read all these like pop books that are designed for people that are Superficially participating in the political spectrum, and you know, I wanted to be a good man, and so I was like checking my privilege, and I wanted to like make sure that I wasn't over being too loud because I would be taking up space for the uh, diversity. Just I was like there, and then my wife, yeah. fortunately, when we were engaged, she started to be like, you know, all that stuff is like just doesn't make any sense, and I was like, it was so <laughs> incredible. She uh she started to challenge me, and anybody else, I would have been like. I read all the books, like I'm articulate. Yeah. I know exactly how to define my own insignificance, like, which is ridiculous. But because <laughs> I loved her and I had I knew enough, I knew that we were gonna get married and I trusted her and I loved her. So when she said something, instead of me just like cognitively disassociating or whatever, uh, <laughs> i had to be like oh my god i actually don't know what i'm talking about because i actually i trust this woman and so i had to process all of this stuff and then i threw out the political sphere i threw out the pharma um with that came my military service which is a really hard thing to to uh come to terms with um as i start learning more about natural law the uh my military time really becomes like a i didn't do anything terrible i was in the navy but it really is like a it was a really hard one to think about service to the government with outsourcing morality and things like that. But anyway, all that to say that in the last year, since she went to the matriarch rising last year and started going to the free uh, participating in the free birth society, mm-hmm. she has opened my mind up to birth. Like you were describing as something that is, uh, the is so powerful and something in reverence. And in that sense, women, you know and mothers are to be held in reverence and the only mm-hmm. type of man that can hold a woman in reverence with the protection and the care and the appreciation and respect that she deserves has to identify has to be able to identify what his place is and so mm-hmm. you know these women that are out there defining what it means to be a woman are by default or whatever defining what it means to be a man so the the stronger Catherine gets and the more uh, passionate and the more conviction she has in her own power, which is kind of like probably what's been happening with Rebecca too. um, Mm -hmm. I just have to continue to meet her where I, where she is or else I'm not quite fit to be in this partnership. And so um, as she has, you know, risen in her consciousness and her power, I have to as well. And so I just find myself seeking now it's conscious but it was subconsciously seeking authors and podcasters and producers and men like yourself who can help who are are able to define what our role is and mm-hmm. what our responsibility is moving forward and it has become like the greatest and most important um challenge of my life and so to hear you just articulate it like that and to provide me with another resource the sacred sons who I see on on Instagram but I haven't quite participated Uh, But to provide me with another resource to dive deeper into that, um, I just uh, I'm so grateful um, that we met and that you were able to share all that because that's important. And what you're saying about the land, you know, it all ties back into what you're cultivating. And so if this is like tied into your intention and your perspective, and this is what you said, you're calling in and the way you said it, you know, if you have to call something in, you have to make space and you can't like if I'm carrying groceries, like. You know, Catherine can't just hand me, you know, a baby. Like if I'm carrying, I have to set something down to hold something. And so what you're describing and what you said when we were with you that day is like you're making space. And I've been thinking about that um, a lot. And the way you described it is you're like, well, what no longer has a a home here? And shame can be one of those things, you know, Um, and making space. I think of myself wasting time on the Internet. Or sitting around moping about whatever accomplishments that I didn't do, Um, so to reject those things creates the space, and I'm learning, like you're describing, like a vacuum. Things will fill in, Um, and so it's you know to hear that that's what you're cultivating on your on your land is quite the tall order, Uh, and it is like a worthy task to be uh, aspiring to um and you can see it down there you know and i know i've been going on for a minute but the last thing i'll say about uh what you said as well is the camaraderie and the teamwork right i have a neighbor here we live on a private drive we all have a couple of acres um you know uh it's a little bit different probably everybody probably has mortgages or whatever and two of my neighbors at least one of them were the same age they got you know we want to start a family soon they got little kids I put in my garden, we busted my ass, putting in our garden. He put in his garden. Right. And then, you know, we both got the chickens, you know, I can hear his rooster. He can hear my rooster. Um, And so we're doubling up all the work. Like next year, if he were to get goats, I'd probably get goats. And then we'd be, but what you're (laughs) describing, and so it's such, it's not very efficient. You know, I should just take him the eggs and he could just bring me the zucchinis rather than both of us cultivating both (laughs) at the same rate. Um, And so what you're describing really, uh, hits home for me because I um, I don't expect my wife to go out and bust her ass outside with me on all the things I do. Sometimes, of course, she likes to, but, and I don't wanna pay people to do all this stuff. And so I can either wear myself to the ground, trying to build the barn and get the chickens and do it all, or this idea that you're cultivating where we share it and not everyone has to go down, not everyone has to carry the same load. Um, Which if you're considering life like you are at till the end and that perspective, you want to live to be 110, then you can pinpoint how many years you got, you know, and it would be better well spent if not all of us had to had to build the same barns, you know, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that and for
1: sharing your vision. Wow. Thank you for uh, providing the venue and the space. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of those things that you were saying, um, just gave me glimmers. And I think one is that, you know, you said it's a tall order or it can be, or it can feel like a heavy task. And so it's important when we feel that and when we know that, that we do things I've learned and I am calling in a spirit of play hmm. and, and, Man, yeah, um, bringing out my, my inner child, which was one thing that I learned at sacred sons, you know, and that's the other thing that, that I heard from you is, um, A brotherhood of men you know because our wives have these the sisterhood that they've come upon with their their ritual elders Mm -hmm. and matriarchs you know they call it matriarch rising Mm -hmm. and that's so powerful so as men you know so long we've done this alone and it's important it's important to be alone with ourselves and to be comfortable but it's it's equally important to have a brotherhood, a community, um, with, with ritual elders. And I had, I, for three years, three and a half years before Sacred Sons had been calling in a ritual elder to have a true, authentic ritual initiation into manhood. Hmm. Wow. And that's what I received at Sacred Sons. There was so many and I did it. It was outside of uh, Seattle in Washington <laughs> state. It was oh, yeah. uh, across the sound in in a beautiful place called Brennan, Washington.
0: Well, we, we used to live like about an hour and a half from there in Port Angeles. That's yeah.
1: Wow. So beautiful, you know, and just so many signs and synchronicities and um, animal medicine, brotherhood man- medicine, plant medicine, just um, the space to, the safe space to share like all of the things. That I wouldn't necessarily share with people, mm-hmm. just to, to be able to drop in, in in ceremony, um, is is powerful, is is so powerful. You know, there's so many things that I have that are are in my heart, and you know, that's what we spoke about before. This was courage,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I've been finding courage in my heart and. Coming more into my my heart and my body and less out of my head,
2: hmm.
1: which is where I would ruminate and start to doubt. But when I can come into my heart space and my courage through movement and different ceremony uh, exercises or just doing anything day to day, you know, like pausing and reflecting before... Mm-hmm getting triggered on something that my spouse says or you know whatever my friend says it's just it's a powerful practice to be able to come into my heart space and find courage and um and live from a place and I tell you what it's it's a challenge every day um and I still get tired and grumpy and fearful yeah. and you know that I doubt things all the time, so uh, thank you for uh, your compliments today, and and I, I salute you in in creating this platform and sharing this time with me today. I'm super grateful um, to do this on my 33rd birthday, and to know you and Catherine and and what you guys are envisioning is uh, is is a privilege.
2: Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that means a lot. That means a lot. And yeah, I uh, was really lucky that you, uh, it was your birthday today, you know, and, uh, that you <laughs> accepted this call to, uh, speak here. Um, and so, yeah, I know we could probably talk for hours more and, and we should, um, offline for sure. And in the future, if you ever want to share more about, um, Un, you know, whatever, if you feel more called to talk about the uh, the men's work and the brotherhood stuff, I know I would really, uh, could really find value in that as well. Um, is there, before we hang up, is there anywhere that you, uh, if anybody's out there listening, if they wanted to uh, find you or your property or something you recommend, is is there uh, an address or a website or something?
1: Um, I don't have a, a website, but I can share my email address and um, my my company name that we do our real estate through is uh, Tanasi Homes. So okay. that Tanasi is the the Cherokee word for hmm. a town in Tennessee, and that's what Tennessee was named after. Oh my gosh! Wow,
0: wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, great. uh, Cool. We'll put that and, uh, we'll put that and then the email address that you could share with me later into the show notes if people want to reach out to you.
1: Um, yeah, man. Sounds great. Thank you.
0: Well, sweet, Bradley. I really appreciate your time today. I had a great conversation. Um, I'm feeling so amped up talking about those glimmers, you know? Uh,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I hope, uh, I hope you have a great day. We'll talk again soon.
1: Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Have a great day. And so, say hello to Catherine. I will. Okay. And Rebecca said hello as well.
0: <laughs> great. Hi back. All right. See you okay. all soon.
1: See you, man. Peace.
0: All right. Well, that's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to support the show, you can make a donation on PayPal. You can find me at Mr. Paul Bry, at M R P A U L B R I. Or feel free to pick up a copy of my book uh, recently on Amazon called International Backpacking and Domestic Travel What I Learned While Traveling the World, a Comprehensive How To Guidebook. You'll find that link below in the show
2: notes. Take care, thanks again, and grow food, not fear.